I wanted you to take a look at that video again because I think, I think that's also a picture of the urgent spiritual condition of the society that we live in. People are without Jesus, upside down in their lives, sort of in a raging flood about to drown them spiritually, who are really in need of rescue. In fact, the whole message of Jesus can be cast in that one word, rescue. Jesus Christ came into the world to rescue, to save us from our own self-destruction, from our sins, uh, from separation from God. And so we live in a world where people do not know Christ. A good many people that we brush shoulders with week by week, people within our own families who do not know Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ made it, uh, made it, made it uh, very straightforward and understandable to us that there's only one way of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus Christ, that whoever <clears throat> believes in him will have everlasting life, will not perish but have everlasting life. So people coming to faith, the people in your workplace, the people in your family, the people that you brush shoulders with week by week, it's their coming to believe, to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior that gives them eternal salvation. And there is no other avenue. There is no other way. In fact, the scripture makes it very serious that, states it very seriously, that a person who does not know Christ will be separated from the God of life for all of eternity. So there is a rescue operation and the church is called to be that rescue operation to make known the name of Christ. Now, there are millions of Christians in the United States today. And I, if you walk up to most Christians and were, were to ask them, have you ever considered giving up your faith in Jesus? 99% of them would say, no way, I'll never give up my faith in Jesus. But the question I want to set in front of us this morning, what about our passion for Jesus? Because... We can have faith in Jesus, but not have passion for, for Jesus. And the greatest need for the church in the United States is to have the passion to leave the security of the banks and to run out into the raging flood to rescue people around us before they are swept away into an eternity separated from God. Now, you wouldn't think it possible, but even the first circle of Jesus' disciples, the ones we call the apostles, who were to be the foundation of this whole mission, they even lost their passion. Uh, they spent three years with Jesus, and you would think spending three years with Jesus, of all people, would have been enough to fill them with all the passion they would ever need to go out and boldly talk about Jesus Christ. But we know what happened the night at the Last Supper. They had the meal. During that meal, Jesus said to the disciples, all of you guys are going to scatter and you're going to forsake me tonight. Peter jumps up and says, Lord, they might all scatter, not me. I will die with you tonight. Well, we know the end of that story. Before the rooster crowed, Peter denied Jesus three times and even swore and cursed and said, I never knew that guy. And all of the disciples ran and hid. Why? Because they thought, that there could have been 11 more crosses erected on Golgotha for them to hang on alongside this Jesus that they identified with. 
they lost their passion. They lost their nerve. They ran and hid. So right away we see that being there having been with Jesus during his ministry and seeing all the great things he did, that wasn't sufficient passion for them to, to, to carry out the mission. Well, then Jesus died, and then all Friday night, all day Saturday, and then all night Saturday, all the way till dawn the next morning of that first Sunday morning, the disciples stayed hidden in fear. But then the resurrection, and Jesus appeared to them. And this is where Luke picks up the story in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. 40 days, that's what, five weeks, that's a month and 10 days. And these guys, these original 12, 11 now, Judas sort of fell out of the picture. But they, they spent 40 days with the risen Jesus Christ, resurrected, right in front of their eyes. And you would think, if anything, could have stoked up the passion they needed to go out and turn the world upside down with this message that Jesus Christ is alive. He really is the Savior of the world. He was not an imposter. He was not a fake. He really is who he said he was. You would think that having spent 40 days with him, talking with him, listening to him, that would have been sufficient passion for them to get the job done. But then when you read verses 4 and 5 in this conversation, uh, this is what it says. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now, this was, he laid, a heavy, he laid a heavy command on these guys. It wasn't a suggestion. He said this, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, that is John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word baptized means to immerse. It means to take, it means to do what you do when you jump off a, a diving board. <laughs> you plunge into water. You immerse, you're, you're immer submerged in water. And so they remembered the day when John the Baptist, they walked out into the Jordan River. John the Baptist took them and lowered them into the water, immersed them in the waters of the Jordan. They remembered that very well. It had only been three years before. But now Jesus says that the Heavenly Father has a gift that he wants to pour out upon you. And that gift is this. In the same way that you were baptized in the dirty waters of the Jordan River, God wants to baptize you in the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Immerse you in the Spirit of God. Be drenched with the Spirit of God. Now, so Jesus commanded them. Don't leave Jerusalem to try to run into the raging flood of human sin and need. Don't try to go out there and carry out the mission of sharing me with the world until God the Father has immersed you, filled you with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Why was Jesus so adamant about this? 
Well, I think it's for this reason, because the, the immersion experience in the Holy Spirit would fill them with the one person who has eternally been most passionate about Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, and that is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, here's a little theology lesson right now, but this is how it comes out in the Scripture. In the Scripture, we know that God presents himself as a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, yet some way beyond what we could understand, and not being able to understand the nature of God shouldn't mess us up too much. Shouldn't make us, shouldn't, we shouldn't get too upset about that. He is God. But God presents himself as a God of relationship for all of eternity. He's not this solitary, this single solitary hermit God that before he created any other beings in the universe, he sort of lived there like a hermit on a mountain all by himself. That isn't the nature of God. For all of eternity, God has been Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, all equal, all eternal, and yet sharing the very same essence, but he is a God of relationship. And that's the only way he ever could be a God of relationship is because there's relationship in his nature for all of eternity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the scriptures teach us that one of the primary roles, in fact, the primary role of the Holy Spirit for all of eternity, long before any of us were ever created, long before the earth was ever created, the universe, for all of eternity, the Holy Spirit's joy and passion has been to honor and glorify and exalt and adore the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the eternal Son. And so Jesus is really saying here, if we can grab this, I hope we can, he's really saying here the most profound thing about our Christian experience. And that is that God has a gift for us. God has an experience for us of being where, where the same Holy Spirit that has exalted and honored Christ for all of eternity, God wants to send that same Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us so that he will share with us, the Holy Spirit will share with us his passion for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we can see why even for the apostles who had been with Jesus for three years, even the apostles who had seen Jesus with their own eyes standing in front of him for over 40 days, that passion wasn't sufficient for the task. But if the third person of the Trinity comes and fills the hearts of those apostles and fills the hearts of all the believers and, and, and all the people of God, that's where the passion for rushing off the banks where we're safe and dry and doing what those people did in the video, running out with all the passion they possibly had. We can run out into our world that is turned upside down, dying, thrashing in the water, messed up in countless numbers of ways, but can find salvation. They can find Jesus Christ. But it's the passion of the Holy Spirit in the church in you and me that's going to make that happen. There is no other passion that's sufficient. Now, the greatest example of this is Jesus himself. Because Jesus, in, uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 3 and 4, he teaches his apostles that um, 
he himself relied upon the passion of the Holy Spirit during his three years of ministry. When Jesus stepped into humanity, the scriptures teach us that he laid aside the exercise of his own divine powers as the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He laid that aside. And what, what was the first thing that Jesus did when he entered into his ministry? Luke chapter 3 tells us that he went out into the water of Jordan and he had uh, John the Baptist baptize him. And what happened as soon as Jesus came up out of the water? The scripture says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. I guess we could say the Holy Spirit immersed Jesus, coming like a dove from heaven and just immersing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke says right after this, he says, then Jesus, coming up out of the waters of Jordan, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tested by the devil for 40 days. Now, so Jesus right away, he's, he is thrown right out into the raging flood. He has a battle, a face-to-face -face battle with the enemy for 40 days. Luke says this right after that battle. Luke, Jesus returned to Galilee. Now, Luke could have wrote it, Jesus returned to Galilee totally beat up by the devil after 40 days. That isn't what it says. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God was sufficient. And then he went to his hometown and he stood up and he read at the Sabbath day service that week from the prophet Isaiah these words. And Jesus introduced the words these way, th this way. Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The Holy Spirit has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and to go, in other words, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit has empowered me, anointed me, to go out into the raging flood and pronounce the freedom and liberty and salvation of the kingdom of God. You know, it makes me think of the, um, it makes me think of this card that's laying on, the de on your seats here today. On the 20th, Carol just said it on the video a little bit ago, but we're going to be, this is one, this is one step out into the raging floodwaters that are, bringing destruction upon so many of our people right now, uh, and including our youth. And so I wanted to say to parents this morning, the, some of the questions are on this card. How do good kids from good families get hooked on heroin? That's part of this raging flood we're talking about. What to look for in your teen's physical appearance and in their room, etc. cetera. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is this, that when we look around us, we see people's lives for a multitude of reasons, not only heroin, but for all kinds of things that are, that are being drawn under and drowning. We are the rescuers. Uh, I was at the Holocaust Museum yesterday with the family in the afternoon up in uh, Skokie. I would recommend that you go there. And I, I walked out of that place I walked out of that place asking God and praying to the Holy Spirit to give me a much more compassionate heart 
for this world that we live in where human suffering is beyond what we can imagine. A lot of times that suffering is covered up here in the suburbs by nice clothes and nice houses and finely manicured lawns and all those kinds of things. But we know when we step into some portions of our inner cities and we know, looking at a global, the global situation, we know what's going on in Syria. We understand that our world, our world is really upside down like that family was in that Jeep. It's, it's a desperate situation. And so we as the church are called to go into that desperate situation with the people that we meet, with the people that we work with, with the people at Lamont High School, with students, with wherever God places you, you are in the midst of people that may look all having it, like they have it together on the outside, but in very, very, very many cases, it's totally different on the inside. God has placed us there. He's sending us, sending us out into the flood. So here's the thing. Jesus carried out his mission in the face of terrible struggles with the enemy, with human opposition, trials, and all kinds uh, of things that came against him. And now Jesus is calling us, his followers, in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the very same thing. It's almost like Jesus is saying this to us. I'm sending you with my message into a world of discouragement, loss, evil, suffering, opposition, sorrow. And unless you have a passion for me that is greater than the pain you will face, you will scatter and hide. It will, be a not, it will not be enough for you to still remember the teachings and the miracles that you read about in the New Testament. And it will not be enough for you to remember all the great doctrines of the scriptures. It will not be enough for you to remember that I rose from the dead. It will not be enough for you to remember the day that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If that is the extent of your faith and of your passion, we will never leave the walls of the church. We will be a holy huddle that stays huddled up where the safety is, inside the walls of the church, with each other. Because the world is just too dangerous, it's too broken, it's too messed up. But it takes courage, it takes superhuman courage to go out into a world like ours and lay our lives down, which Jesus called us to do, to lay our lives down just like he did in compassion, in care, in loving other people so that God can use us to be the, the lifeline that is thrown out to, to pull them in out of the water and pull them into safety, pull them into God's presence. Now, Satan wants to give us a very private, silenced faith. He wants us, he, don't, he doesn't matter if we, if we have our own personal faith, as long as we keep it to ourselves. But Jesus has called us to, to take this message to the ends of the world. So here's the concern for the church today in the United States. That beyond our great memories of Jesus, beyond being very fond of him, we are to be, the question is this, are we changing our world by taking his name and the power of his name with a passion for him that cannot be extinguished 
into our world. What must happen for that to happen in our churches? Well, what did Jesus call the very first church? What did he call this very first circle of Christians to do? Acts chapter 1, this is what he told them to do. Just after he, he ascended into heaven, he had already instructed them, and, and this is what they did. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olivet. They had just seen Jesus ascend into, into heaven. It says, they went to this upper room, and when they arrived, this is what they did. And it gives a list of all the names of the people that were there. There were about 120 people there, crammed in. It says in verse number 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. What they were doing was, Jesus had promised the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the gift of the Spirit. And they spent 120 days. Or they, they, spent, they, they, they went back, the 120 of them, into the room, and they began to pray constantly that God would send that precious Holy Spirit upon them and fill them. They were actively thirsting. They were actively seeking the Spirit of God in His presence. And I believe that is what it is time for in the churches of the United States. And I believe that's what it's time for at Calvary Church. It's to return to the place where we seek God for a fresh immersion in the Holy Spirit so that his passion is restored to our hearts, his passion for Christ, his passion for people. Because there is no other energy that will impel us, compel us to go into our world. So this morning, I am inviting Calvary Church to begin the most spirit-impassioned chapter so far in the life of this church. But what it's going to take is all of us seeking and hungering and spending focused time in inviting and re-inviting the Spirit of God to come and fill our lives just like the Father promised he would. Some of you, some of us may have to overcome some uh, some hurt, some pain, some, some things that are obscuring and taking our attention away from spiritual things. But it is very important right now. I think it's very, very important for our culture. It's important for us as a church. It's important for us in the village of Lamont and the surrounding villages. It's important that we as his church, we open wide our hearts with a hunger for God that we are expressing to him he wants us to express that hunger to him. These 120 people uh, did not, after Jesus gave them this promise of a gift, they didn't simply spend the next days casually, you know, they, didn't, they, didn't go back to, they didn't go back to fishing. They didn't, they didn't, they, they thirsted, they hungered, they took, they were proactive in reaching out to God for the gift and the infilling of the Spirit of God. And that is what God is calling us to do as a church. So I'm going to invite you right now. Uh, let's stand together. And we're going to pray together. And there's a prayer that uh, I have composed that I want us to lead us in prayer over these next few Sundays. And so I'm going to ask you just to pray this prayer with me. Follow after I 
as I lead through the prayer. But pray it from the depths of our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come to you with hunger in our hearts for the outpouring of your Spirit upon us. We totally surrender our hearts to you. Give us your Spirit's passion for Jesus to love him and make him known. Give us a passion for Jesus greater than our pain so that Jesus shines through us even in sorrow. Lord, we desire your Holy Spirit more than any other desire in life. Come immerse us in your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Now, a couple action steps. Uh, I want to call the congregation to spend the next, well, during the month of May, during this series, meditating, reading and rereading these first couple, three chapters of the book of Acts. Till those, till God's promise, his word, it sinks in. It takes shape and it takes root inside of us. Spend time meditating upon that. And in your own prayer times, in your own words, begin to express to God your hunger for a fresh experience of his mighty Holy Spirit. Begin to pray that with all your heart, with all your soul. You know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, uh, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's what God wants. He wants all our heart. And if we'll pour out all of our heart to him, the scripture also says in James 4, 8, if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. Sometimes he's wanting us to make the first move. He'll respond if we begin to move out of our passivity and begin to proactively seek him for the gift of his presence and the gift of his spirit. So I encourage you to do that. Um, and then on Sunday evening, uh, the 21st, that's two weeks from today, Sunday evening, the 21st, from 6 till 7.15 p.m., we're just going to come together as an entire church with that prayer. And mark it on your calendar. I think God's heart would be thrilled with a church full of people on a Sunday evening gathered for one thing, and that was to seek him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength for his divine presence to come and fill. I can't think of anything that would please him more. Because then he knows that this is a church that's coming alive and is going to leave the banks and rush out into, the, into, the, into this flood and begin to rescue people that Jesus, his son, died for and shed his blood for on that cross. That's our mission. That's why we exist. That's why we're Calvary Church. Let's, let's grab hold of that. And, and I'm preaching to myself as well as anybody here. I always do. Let's grab hold of this like we've not grabbed hold of it before. 
and see what God can do. Now, Father, you, Lord, we don't want to just spout out a bunch of words, Lord, that are just an excited preacher getting too excited or something, Lord. That's not it. Lord, no. Lord, there, there's enough, there are enough insincere words in this world. We don't need any more, Lord. Lord, we, we come with a sincere desire to be on mission for Jesus by the power of the Spirit in this area so that many precious, wonderful people today who don't know you can come to know you. And so, Lord, um, we, we commit ourselves to this, and we pray this in Jesus' great, his mighty name. Amen.